1979. That was possibly the beginning of the, the radical Islamic movement that has so affected our world. Fifty-two Americans in the American embassy were held hostage for many, many days. There was a preacher in that day named Peter Cart, um, named, excuse me, Greg Livingstone. And he was invited to preach at a large evangelical church during that. It was actually a mission Sunday. And they only gave him one minute to speak. And so he really was very careful with his words. He decided to ask two questions. Number one, how many of you are praying for the 52 American hostages being held in Iran? Raise your hand. And everybody in the audience raised their hand. Then he said, put your hands down. Let me ask you question two. How many of you are praying for the 42 million Iranians that are held in hostage by the Islamic religion? And four people raised their hands. To which Livingstone said, What are you guys, Americans first and Christians second? I thought this was a Bible-believing church. Wow, what a convicting moment. You know, often God has to send a rebuke to wake us up to his mission. And I want today to, to share the most famous story about someone who had to be shook up to understand the mission of God. It's found in Galatians chapter 2. It's a story where the Apostle Paul, the rookie apostle, the apostle who had not hung out with Jesus three years, is called to rebuke the leader of the apostles, Simon Peter. I mean, it's a pretty wild scene, and it's a bold scene. Uh, look with me in Galatians chapter 2, and, and we're going to start in verse 11. When Cephas, that's Peter, came to Antioch, I, that's Paul, opposed him to his face... Because he stood condemned. That's pretty strong language, I would say. For before certain men came from James, that's from Jerusalem, he used to eat with the Gentiles. In other words, Peter has been there. He's been at this Gentile church. They've seen him eat his pork and his catfish. And then all of a sudden, the Jewish guys come from Jerusalem. He stops eating that way. He even withdraws. You see, in, in this day, to eat with someone was a sign of complete fellowship. It, it, it communicated more than we're just hungry. It communicated that we are one. And so Peter, feeling the pressure from these guys, withdraws himself. And Paul's pretty hot about it. Look at what it can do. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. What's the circumcision group? It's the group that says, in order for you to follow Jesus, you also need to follow the Jewish laws. Every, every one of them. And you can't really be a Christian without being Jewish. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy. That So by their hypocrisy, I love this line, even Barnabas was led astray. Barnabas must have been one fantastic guy, don't you think? When everybody goofs up, the Bible has to point out, you know, a lot of folks goofed up and were really shocked. Even Barnabas messed up here. Look, look what continues to happen as we read. When I saw that they were not acting, here's the key line, were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, 
You're a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew? How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, but because of the works of the law, no one will be justified. By the works of the law, no one justified. And Paul is, Paul is pretty hot because what's at stake here is, is Jesus Christ enough? Or do you also have to embrace the law? That's why people that would come into our lives today and say that you need to keep all the laws of the Old Testament would tell you the book of Galatians is not inspired because it, it completely confronts that. And Paul is confronting Peter because Peter's got wrapped up in this thing with these Judaizing, um, circumcised teachers who've come and are saying, you know what, you need to act this way. And, and Peter falls to peer pressure and Paul says, I've got to confront you publicly about this. Not because he didn't love Peter, because he did love Peter, but even more than that, he loved the gospel. And the gospel was at stake by Peter's action. So here's the point you might want to write down here. Paul gets in Peter's face. Quite literally. Why? Because Peter's actions contradict the gospel of grace. They just contradict it. He's preaching one thing and he's living another. And Paul says this can't go on. Now here's the sad thing about this is that Peter knows better. Watch me as we go through Peter's faith journey, okay? Look at the ups and downs of his journey. It starts with us seeing Peter in the Gospels, doesn't it? And, and Peter is the, the apostle we all love to relate to because, I mean, Peter hardly ever gets anything right. He always misstates things. One of my, my favorite stories in the Gospels is when Jesus is wanting to wash all the disciples' feet and Peter's offended that Jesus would take this lowly position and when Jesus gets to Peter, Peter says, No, never will you wash my feet. He just, just blurts it out. And Jesus looks at him and says, Well, Peter, okay, man, if I can't wash your feet, then you don't have anything to do with me. And then Peter says, Would you bathe my whole body? I mean, that's just, that's just typical Peter. I mean, just, just back, back and forth. In the Gospels, he can't get it right. He cannot grasp that the, the Messiah is going to die. In fact, he goes so far to rebuke Jesus when Jesus says, I'm going to die. So we, we see Peter being an absolute goof-up in the Gospels. We really do. And then we see a different Peter on Pentecost, Okay? Also, on Peter and Pentecost, Peter's preaching in front of probably 100,000 people and, and preaching the gospel like nobody's business, not afraid, bold. What happened? I think if between those two lines, you might put an arrow and put the resurrection. I think it changed him. And second, you might put the Holy Spirit. And he's a different dude. And even in this sermon... He sort of refers to the gospel being for everybody. It's going to be for all your children, even for those that are far off. But then he falls back down into his own prejudice. And this guy's a Jew. I mean, a Gentile was looked at as being worse than a dog. And Peter's having a hard time getting over that, despite the fact that Jesus had alluded to that, and the fact his own sermon alluded to it. He finds himself in complete prejudice. 
And then he has to be taught. Okay, and you get to Acts chapter 10, and the gospel is going to open to the Gentiles. And God comes to this Gentile man named Cornelius, and he gives him a vision and says, you need to go call on Peter. Well, Peter wouldn't have been too happy about that. So God has to give him three visions to say, Peter, everybody's acceptable. And so finally, Peter is obedient. He goes, and he te- he's taught, and he goes to uh, Cornelius' house. And here's a Gentile who has a Pentecost experience of the Holy Spirit falling on him. And Peter recognizes that this is for real. And finally, in Acts chapter 10, verse 34 and 35, Peter himself says, I now recognize that God is not a respecter of persons, but in every nation, God accepts those who come to him. Peter is taught. He gets over his prejudice and he's taught. But then here's what we see in Galatians 2. He reverts to his old beliefs and behavior. You ever done that? I mean, you come to Christ and you learn the truth about life and about people and and, and you start overcoming some of your prejudices and then you're thrown into situations where those prejudices come back up. We we could sort of get down on Simon Peter here, but I don't think he's that abnormal in, in, in the way his spiritual growth is going. And so now he is... Paul would say he's being extremely hypocritical. He knows better, he's preached better, he's experienced this, and now he's back to shunning the Gentiles. And now he is rebuked. And as far as we know in the Bible, that's Peter's last big goof up. What a story. Now what do we learn from this this morning? You know, what do we learn here that could wake us up? I want to give you four truths today to wake you and I up about the mission to the whole world. Because all of us at times need to be shook up, right? One of my favorite stories is of a a preacher named Peter Cartwright. He was uh, known as a very bold sort of brash preacher. And uh, one day it was, they found out that President Andrew Jackson was going to come to his church. Well, Jackson, if you've read much about him, was not a very Christian man in his behavior. But this was the president. And so some, Peter who knew Cart- some people who knew Cartwright took him to the side and says, Hey, the president's coming. You need to really be careful what you say. I mean, do not offend the president of the United States. Okay. So Cartwright gets up. And here's the way he started his sermon. I understand that President Andrew Jackson is with us today. I have been warned that I need to be guarded in my remarks. Andrew Jackson will go to hell if he does not repent. (laughs) Wow. You know what President Jackson said to him? He said, Mr. Cartwright, if I had an army full of people like you, I could take the world. And guys, sometimes we need someone to come into our life and just speak truth. That's what even Peter, I mean, come on guys, we're talking about one of the great heroes of the Bible. I mean, guys, if he can get off track, are you surprised? We do? So here's these four truths. Number one, we often wonder off truth, an off mission. 
Guys, we just, we become selfish. We said that a couple weeks ago. That left to our natural being, without the Holy Spirit, we all tend to gravitate towards selfishness. That's why the percentage of people who says the mission of the church to reach the world, churchgoers, is about 11%. The other 89% say it's for me and my family. And so we naturally gravitate toward being selfish. So that's what this message series is all about, guys, is because you and I gravitate and we need to be reminded of the mission. I told our small group leaders a few weeks ago, guys, you put our people in a small, in a, in a living room with 10 or 12 people, we're going to take care of each other and love each other. We don't have to talk about that. We don't have to push that. We just do that naturally. But to, to reach the lost people, we all have to be pushed and challenged a little bit. That's what we're doing. And also, sometimes we wander from this mission because we start believing other things are the answer. We, we see how messed up the world, are, the world is and we start thinking, well, you know, politics is the answer. Our government's the answer. Our military's the answer. Then we get messed up. Now, I'm not against politics or our government or our military. I, I think they have their place to, 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 to lead. But, but I'm telling you, I'm not foolish enough to believe that they are going to be able to change the world. Two of my great heroes in American history are Abraham Lincoln and Ronald Reagan. And yet there's something that both of them said that always really bothers me. Abraham Lincoln, in his second inaugural address, said that America was the last best hope of the world. And Ronald Reagan repeated it with just a little bit of a change of language. The United States remains the last best hope for mankind. I'm telling you, the United States is not the hope for mankind. Jesus Christ is. Amen? And guys, we get off mission when we start believing anything else could really change things except the blood and the power of Jesus Christ. So let's not wander off mission. Number two, we often forget that the gospel is for all. We tend to gravitate toward people that are like us. And so when it comes to our outreach efforts, often it looks like our people. And we, we do that through life. If you're a teenager, you, you naturally sort of get in cliques and groups where, you know, it's either the geeks or it's the athletes or it's the rednecks. Or you, 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 sort of, you sort of get in that group. You go off to college, and we often join fraternities and sororities that look just like us. One of the greatest embarrassments in our state is the fraternity and sorority system and the way it looks. And we, we, we gravitate toward people that look like us. And we get older and we gravitate toward neighborhoods where people look like us. And so therefore, sometimes, guys, when it comes to sharing the gospel, we are into sharing it with people like us. And guys, we shouldn't avoid that, but when we only focus on someone that, that I like this, their skin color, I like their social economic standard, I like their political views, I like the football team they cheer for, then we, then we don't get it that the gospel's for everybody. I was so honored this week to preach this celebration service for Jane Goldman. I see her son Craig here today. 
She was an amazing lady. What spunk and what fire and yet what love. And her daughter Dorothy was telling me about how when she would go uh, shopping with her, they might go to Walmart and, you know, she might drop her off at the pharmacy and go get her. And she'd come back an hour and a half later, two hours later, and, and Miss Jane was struck up a conversation with somebody, holding their hands and crying and praying. She just, she just did that everywhere she went. She met a lady at Cracker Barrel once. The lady was in a difficult position, and uh, it was obvious the lady was there and couldn't afford her meal, and so Jane invited her to sit with them and bought her meal. They struck up a relationship where Jane would visit her, Jane would take her to her doctor's appointments. It was just a beautiful relationship. The woman, after a few months of this, said to Miss Jane one day, I didn't know there were white people like you. <laughs> to which Miss Jane said, I didn't know what color your skin was. Don't you love that? To be colorblind. Because too often, even in our own community, guys, oh, well, we trying to reach everybody. That's the gospel. When it comes to the world, I hear Christians say, well, why do we need to put all this money over in Tanzania? Why do we need to go to Turkey? We got lost people here in America. Why don't we put all our money here? My, my friends, number one, because Jesus commanded us to go into all the world. You know that? That's a command of his. He didn't say just stay and keep it for ourselves. He says you go to everybody in every nation. And number two, because listen to me. I love the statement. Everybody deserves to hear the gospel once before the rest of us get to hear it twice. I mean, here in America, we hear it over and over again. We need to go to those places where the gospel has not been heard. So let's not forget what our mission is all about. We need to be a great commission church. We need to be a church with a heart, not just for America, but for the whole world. Then number three, here's another truth I think that can help us. We can change. We can absolutely change. I mean, listen to what happens to the apostle Peter. In Acts chapter 15, after that scene with Paul, they all meet in Jerusalem to figure out what to do with all these new Gentile believers. And, and the Judaizing teachers are pushing that they insist they keep the law. And Peter gets up in Acts 15, verse 7, he says this. Oh, I love this. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he purified their heart by faith. Why then do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. What's he saying? Here's the gospel. The gospel is we're all sinners. The gospel is we all deserve to be separated from God. The gospel is we're all in trouble. Everybody. Everybody. And then Jesus came and he redeemed us. He didn't redeem just one sect of people. He redeemed the whole world. And, and so the gospel is for all. And even Peter with all of his prejudice is able to change. 
Peter did. He changed. I love that part of the story. And so can we. In fact, I, I just applaud this church that over the last 18 years, I've seen us go from a very small mission effort in one place to a mission effort that literally spans the globe. And it, it, if Peter can change and our church can change, then let me say this to you. You can change and I can change. And that brings us to the last truth this morning. Number four, the evidence will be found. If, if we truly start, and I love this line, if we start living in line with the gospel, if my life lines up behind the simple truth of the gospel, here's some places this can show up. Number one, it can show up in my actions. My actions reflect that I believe Jesus is for everybody. The famous Indian Hindu, Gandhi, loved Jesus. He read the New Testament over and over again. He contemplated coming to Christ. And then he visited, I'm sorry to share this with you, the southern states of America a few decades ago. And he was rejected in many restaurants from being able to eat there for no other reason than the color of their skin. And he his skin. And he writes in his autobiography, I rejected Christianity not because of Christ, but because of Christians. I'm asking you today, is there anyone rejecting Jesus because of the way you live? Is there anybody who can't see Jesus because the way you behave at work or at school? Let's put it this way. Is there anybody accepting Jesus because they see something different in you? It can show up in our behavior, the way we treat people, the way we include people. Number two, it can show up in my calendar. When I look at my calendar, it can show up. Because here's the truth about you and here's the truth about me. I find time to do what I want to do. I do. If someone drops me some tickets to a ball game I want to go, man, I, I'll rearrange some things and I'll, I'll go. If you want to go work out, you go work out. If, if you want to go to a movie, you'll find a way to go to that movie. If you want to, you know, um, stay on the computer all night on Facebook, you'll find a way to do that. We, let's just be honest. We do what we want to do. And guys, here's the transformation that's got to happen in our lives. Is if we can find time to do what we want to do. And right now, you're not finding any time for outreach. You're not finding time to put yourself in a place where there are non-Christians. You're not finding time to make that phone call. To write that note. To invite somebody over in your home who's different than you. To love on them. Because the, the problem is, our hearts need to change. Because if our hearts change, I'll do and you'll do what we want to do. And when we begin to get the gospel, not just for what Jesus has done for us, but what he wants to do for everybody, then it changes the way we spend our time. And one more thing, when we get the gospel, it will also change my bank statement. I know we're uncomfortable talking about that. I love that our shepherds got up and talked to you about that today. We, we don't want to talk about money. We've probably avoided it around here for too long. But you know what? In the Bible, they're not uncomfortable with that. The Apostle Paul actually writes, the way you respond to people in need and generosity is a test of your love for Jesus. He said, you want to find out how you love Jesus? Find out how generous you are. So 
So guys, it's, it's going to show up on your bank statement. You, you want to know how committed you are to the Great Commission. Look at your actions. Look at your calendar. And yes, go look at your bank statement. What does it say about your priorities? I love the stories that float around this church of people, I heard one Wednesday night, of people who say, you know what, no matter how bleak the economy is and what's going on, I heard a lady say, I'm going to be, I, we committed to be a tither even when it didn't look like we could do it, and God blessed us. I believe we will. But let me say this. Next Sunday, we're going to find out a lot of what we think of the Great Commission. We will find out how committed we are for the gospel to reach the world. So, looking back on our message today, he, here's what I want to believe about life. I want to believe about life that I start down here and it's just one great upward movement. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that, that, that's the line I want to believe. That's the American view of life. You start down here and you just get better and better and better and better and better. And here's what my view was. Not only would I get better, but the church would get better and better and better and better. And everything was just, it's just going to all fall in place. Guys, I, I, I hate to admit to you today, that's not an accurate view of life. That's not an accurate view of your marriage. That's not an accurate view of your walk with God. That's not an accurate view of even this church. Peter's life is a much better picture of the way life goes. It goes up, and then you fall off. And then you go up a little bit higher, and then you fall off. And then you go up a little higher. It's an up and down movement. We see this in one of the greatest people in the Bible. Because we shouldn't be surprised that our life is that way. Now here's what I love about what I'm talking about today. This gives you and I hope. If Peter can be so prejudiced and change, and even revert to it and change again, can we not change? Whatever in our life doesn't line up with the truth of the gospel absolutely we can change. So maybe you come here today and you're up here. Thank God. Thank God. Enjoy it. Learn everything you can while you're there. Because something's going to knock you down at some point. Or maybe you're right here today. And you're low. When I say these questions, you're really uncomfortable about your bank statement. You're really uncomfortable about your behavior at work. You're really uncomfortable about the way you use your time. I mean, it's mostly just selfish. Okay, that's all right. That's all right. That's, that's part of life. Here's our question. Or you can stay down. Or will you have the humility of even someone like Peter? Who said, you know what? I did blow it there. I didn't behave right. I didn't act right. I didn't give right. I want to change. So today, we, we got a front row up here for people that are right here. And I don't know what's going on in your life that's caused you, but we'd love to pray about it. I don't know. I don't really care why you're there. That's not the issue. And God's not so concerned. He's concerned about where you're going. And so today, if you find yourself in one of those low points in life, the key is to get up and get back on that trajectory with Jesus and let your life line up with the gospel. So he, you know, here's, here, here's, here's how he takes you. He takes you just the way you are. You can't change what's happened in the past. You can't change a, a prejudiced, bad attitude. You can't change your selfishness and what's happened. But you can change what's about to happen. And, and here's the good news is we, we invite you to this front row today. He takes you just the way you are with all of your bumbling mistakes, just like Peter. 
and he'll change you into somebody on a mission for him. If you need to come because you're down here today, why don't you come right now while we stand and sing?